Hello and welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today by Phil Oakley. How are you doing, Phil? I'm all right, thank you, John. Excellent. Uh, lots of news this week. Uh, we're going we're gonna to stick to the company news this week because there's lots of it. A uh, very busy week on the results front. Um, it's a very interesting uh, takeover action. I think that's where we ought to start. Yeah, the London Stock Exchange. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think... This is not really a a surprise, certainly to me and, and lots of other people. Well, we did, uh, after much discussion, include it in our Tips of the Year selection at the beginning of, uh, of January, uh, and it's the best performing tip of the year so far. Um, so yeah, it, it, I guess this was uh, always a possibility that a predator would come along, uh, and that would have been a consideration when we selected it. Yeah, I think so. But I think I think on top of that, it's just just a very good business, and it's a very it's, it's for me it's a great example of you know a scarce asset in that you know there aren't many stock exchanges out there. It's not easy to set up and compete against a stock exchange, and this is a a company that has has a business with a lot of with pricing power. Data is immensely valuable and seems to be getting more valuable. We know that in our line of business. It, yeah, the price only seems to yeah, go in one yeah. direction. The, the exchange, the fees that can be be charged and the price increases year after year of, to carry exchange fees is incredibly powerful, and the, the, they can they can. Get big incremental up this year after year, and the customer can not do a lot about it. Now, some might say that's a bad thing, but from a shareholder's perspective, it's a good thing. But you know, this this company is sitting on, you know, a unique asset in one of the biggest financial markets in the world. It has the LCH business, the clearinghouse business for the derivatives on the London market, and then it has this FTSE and the Russell index business, which has boomed as passive investment index tracking activity has just gone through the roof and this business is just getting more and more profitable um it's got very steady predictable cash generation it's a dream business and you can see why people will value it very highly yeah so the uh, the price that um the uh, hong kong exchange and clearing uh, have put on the London Stock Exchange it roughly equates to about £84 a share. Yes. Um, which is significantly higher, yeah. obviously, than the price we tipped at, at a year ago, but also the, the price that, at which the shares are currently trading. Yeah. What's going on there? Well, I mean, the price is, I think, it equates to about 40, to over 42 times forecast 2019 earnings. So that's, that's a big, big price ticket on. On, on this company, but, but why hasn't the uh, well, you know, why hasn't the share price caught up with this bid bid price? Well, I think their assumption is that this that this deal is going to have a problem um, going through. I think that there is there's a lot of talks that politics will get involved here. Well, it has before. So yeah. when when obviously Deutsche Borsa tried to buy the LSE, yeah. that was blocked. Yeah, and obviously Hong Kong, China, China, US, that kind of thing. There's bound to be. Somebody and or lots of people raising the issue that you know, do we want this kind of asset being owned by Hong Kong and by default the Chinese? That's what people will say. Mm. It, it was interesting. I actually read a piece of commentary around around that specific point, um, which suggested that the reason this bid is happening now is because the, the Hong Kong's relationship with China is when well, it is changing, um, and this is perhaps the last chance that the, the Hong Kong uh, exchange of clearing. Has to, has to make a deal like this to internationalise. 
There is that, and I think there's another, there's another another part of this is that at the moment London Stock Exchange is trying to buy a business called Refinitiv, which is a data business that's been owned by uh, Black BlackRock. Uh, is it BlackRock? Tom, Thomson Reuters and Thomson Reuters. Yeah. And I think this is a really good deal for London Stock Exchange because of just just the value of data. Well, lots and lots of commentators have said the same thing. Yeah, there was, is a lot of support for the Refinitiv. Deal. Yeah. And um, if this refinitive deal goes through, then clearly the valuation in terms of absolute billions of pounds that London Stock Exchange will be worth will go up. And the argument is that if LSE goes ahead and buys refinitive and the Hong Kong bid is based on the refinitive deal not going through because, because it will put the price up too much. And... Um, my my view is from a shareholder's point of view, this is you almost want this deal not to go through because I think this is one of the one of the few businesses on the London Stock Exchange that you can own over the long haul, and I think you can expect its value to value to increase. It's you know where where can where where you know these these businesses are very few and far between. And I would be really sad to see it go, actually. For the sake of all, all UK investors out there, this is the kind of share that you'd want to own for the long haul. Absolutely. Um, OK, let's move on to Apple. They obviously had their big annual launch event this year, usually lots of razzmatazz around that, lots of new products. What was it like this year? What, what did we see? I think it's a bit of a disappointment, really. And I think it, it sort of carries on this theme of Apple struggling, really, to come out with a groundbreaking new product or service that transformed the business. And the problem has existed for a long time now that Apple is still way too reliant on the profits it makes from selling iPhones. Um, that it's more, more than half the sales come from the iPhone. Yeah, more, more than that. And the, and the only new product they really, of note, launched at this event was, was a new iPhone. The so there's a new, there was a new iPhone, a couple of new iPhones, or two or three new iPhones, new iPad, a new watch, and then the other thing, the, the other big thing was the they flushed out more details on the streaming service, the Apple TV Plus, which I actually find very, very underwhelming. If you look at this business, compare it to you know streaming is becoming increasingly crowded trade now. Apple is Apple is very late to the game here. Disney beefing up, they're launching in the next couple of months. You've got Amazon Prime, you've got Netflix. Over here, you've got BritBox that's going to come soon, which is the venture between the ITV and the BBC. And whilst Apple is pitching in at a pretty low price of about, I think it's going to be about £4 a month in the UK, $4.99 in the US, it has incredibly thin content. There's no back catalogue here, and it's not really offering, from what I can see, a great range of must-see programmes. Now, uh, maybe I'll be proved wrong on that, but Apple is going to have to throw huge amounts of money at this. But it does have a lot of cash. It has a lot of cash, absolutely. Hundred, hundred odd billion. Yeah. Um, so, so I mean, if it really puts its mind to it, if it wants this to to be the thing that, that that takes its services business to the next level, it has the firepower to do it. Yeah, which may and may you know people have speculated that it may go and buy content, mm. take over companies, and and, and put it on. Whether that delivers a grand bang for the buck, I mean, it would come with a very high price tag. I'm, I'm not so sure, but you know, Apple, Apple is in a bit of a difficult place. I know the shares, the shares have had a great run this year. They're at, so, four, they're at forty percent. Forty percent. 
But actually, right. if you look at look at the con- in the context of what Apple's been doing the last four years, its profits are going nowhere. And I looked at this when I was writing this yesterday, and it's like Apple made seventy one billion dollars of operating profit in two thousand and fifteen. Its forecast to make sixty three billion this year, and its shares have doubled. And one of the things that's helped, two things have helped it double. It's bought back one point two billion of its own shares which is getting on for 20% of its share count. And then the shares have been re-rated from, say, like a PE of 12 four years ago to a PE of 18. But there's only so long, you know, be, may, maybe Apple will end up buying all, buying all its shares and there'll be none left. And that's, and Another that's, listed company buys the dust. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's, maybe that's what I'm missing. Maybe that's the real bull case here, is that eventually, if you just own Apple, you'll be the only, one, you'll be the only ones left owning it. I mean, 17 times earnings for a company like Apple, you know, in tech world, not very it's expensive. Not, no, it's not very expensive. I just think the quality, if you look at the, what's been driving its share price, it hasn't been profits. It's been a re-rating of its earnings and, um, and buybacks. Now, that's great. If you're a shareholder, you're quite happy. Uh, I think going forward, this is a company that needs to be able to prove that it can grow. And I think it will grow in the next couple of years. I think we will get a resurgence in iPhone sales next year and the year after when they bring out the 5G handset. Uh, A lot of people have criticised it for not bringing out a 5G handset, but I think that's misplaced because very few 5G services are available, certainly in this country. So I don't think it's going to lose out massively because of that. But I think you will get an uptick in the iPhone replacement cycle probably next year and the year after. And that's probably what's driving analysts' profit forecasts jumping up quite a lot. They're still not forecast to get back to the $71 billion that they made in 2015. But there is, there is some growth from the current base. And no, they're not, they're not expensive shares. You can probably sleep quite well with them. I don't think... They're not like a lot of companies which are ridiculously expensive with very, very high expectations. There's not a lot. You know, there's probably no growth factored in here. So the shares are probably quite decent value. I just think from a growth perspective, this company's still got a lot of questions to answer. I mean, that sounds like a, that sounds like a reasonable case for buying or owning the shares. Yeah. I mean, you, you've, you've got a value case, and although the growth's not there today, I mean, if, if it gets some of these initiatives right, the growth might be there tomorrow. So you might be able to buy value today, get growth tomorrow. Yeah, I think the value is arguably there. Well, what I can't get my head around, and maybe this is just my deficiency, is I just I'm not sure there's a lot the growth. I think the services business will grow, but I'm just not convinced that you know once this peak in iPhone sales comes over the next couple of years, you get this jump up again when it normalises again. You know how much how much money is Apple going to be making? Mm. I'm not convinced it's going to be making a lot more than it is now. What, I've, what I'm pretty confident of is that there will be fewer shares in issue. So the profits will rise. So the profits per share, per share. will rise. And that, and that and I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm being critical of the growth. I don't want to be too, too critical on the company. I think it's a wonderful business. I'm a big user of its products. I think it's great. But you haven't got the shares in the fantasy set. No, no. But, you know, I've, I've sort of kind of, Barbled on for the last few minutes and thinking, actually, it's not that bad. <laughs> Talk yourself but, into it. But, you know, because because the trade-off between the implied growth and the valuation is actually not bad. It's always, it's always been a company I've liked the look of, from an investment perspective. Yeah. Even when I didn't like the products, I could just see how many other people were, were using them. 
Well, it's um, obviously what, and now I use the products as well. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously what, this is obviously what Buffett is thinking because obviously he's he's a big shareholder in this in this company. And it's fantastic cash flow, and um, you you would think that given the resilience of the customer base here, you know, the people that own iPhones are not likely to jump off and, and get Android phones. I mean, the big worry there was always China, but uh, which was the reason it kind of sort of semi warned earlier this year. Yeah, but yeah. that seems to, that worry seems to. Have, Away a little bit. The, the, the thing that's sort of going on in the background is whether they bring manufacturing back from China mm. and what that does to the, the economics of the business. I just want to turn to another company uh, that's buying back a lot of shares uh, that you've written about this week, which is Ashton. Yeah. Now, this is we, we spoke last week when Algie was on the show about cyclicality. Yeah. This is a this is a classic cyclical. It is. But you kind of like it anyway. Oh, I think, <laughs> yeah. I mean... I've written, I, I did do a big piece in the magazine about this probably just under a year ago. And it's like, Ashdead for me is like somebody who's lucky enough to have a bank account, pays a high rate of interest and have loads of money to just keep putting in it every month. And you just compound the amount of income that you can grow from it. And that's essentially what Ashdead has been doing probably for the last decade and particularly in America. And the profitability of this business is is really really good you know it's it's making sort of low 30s operating margin and getting a return on investment on its um its its fleet its equipment hire fleet off builders and building sites of 24% now you start throwing 500 million 600 million a year even more and that's actually quite low for ashton because they've they're in a bit of a down down investment because they've built up the size of the fleet. You know, you're putting money into a savings account, high rates of return. You, the income grows and, and snowballs. And Ashdad is, you know, like a snowball gathering snow. And they're buying back a lot of shares as well, as I said. So yeah. I think they're on calls for about half a billion pounds yeah. worth this year. So what's happened is that they've spent the previous couple of years, they've invested a lot of money into the American fleet. And so, so you've got a sort of sweet spot on replacement. So, so the stuff hasn't doesn't need that they bought a few years ago doesn't need replacing yet. So the ongoing spending requirements, investment requirements of the business have actually come down. So Ashdead is actually generating a lot of underlying cash flow at the moment, and the management are using that cash flow. They're still investing in the business. They're still buying out smaller independent operators, and there's a lot still to do on that. And then they're buying back buying back shares, and you know if you look at a cyclical, I think this is one of the best cyclicals you, you can buy. Possibly the best. Yeah, possibly the best. I mean, yes, it's got a, a UK business which is struggling. There's too much competition in the UK, but that really doesn't matter. The profits are so small in terms of the overall group. And see, see the difference. You know, we talked about Samero last week, which is sort of plugged into the similar sort of market, but the economics and business model of Ashdad are much better. You've got you've got the rental. It's not it's not more of your one-off sales. It's not it's um, you've got this regular regular cash flow. You've got the flexibility to the customer, and then you've got the ability to to cut back and deleverage when the cycle turns down. This is a really, really good business. One that I've liked for a long time, and I continue to like. I mean, the, the shares haven't exactly, you know, blown anyone away over the last couple of years. We we tipped these. Uh, they have this, this year. May two thousand eighteen. Well, it must have had a big dip since <laughs> the middle of last year because we tipped them in May two thousand and eighteen, and they're up about eleven percent since then. So well, I think they're up about forty percent this year. This year, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, the, the, the concern has always been that you get a big downturn in the American construction market and the profits will tank. And this, there's no getting away from this. That when this does turn down, and you know the odds are that it will turn down one day, the profits will come off sharply. But you know you're looking at a share that's priced at eleven times earnings. That's factored in. That's factored in. And I think if you did get a recession or you get a big slowdown in America, then people will always point to infrastructure spending as a way of maybe stimulating the economy. So. I think as long as this market holds up, then Ashdod's going to do okay. In fact, more than okay. Whether whether there's you know it's had such a good run, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see these shares pause for breath for a bit now. But yeah, it's absolutely. a wonderful business, really well run. I mean, as, as you mentioned, though, I mean the, the, the UK is obviously a smaller part of the business, but it but it's not without without problems. I mean, it's not disastrous. Reading our, our tip update this week, I mean, it's it's flat. Basically. Yeah, but it's making negligible profit. Negligible profit. I mean, the UK market, for, the UK construction market is pretty pretty hideous. I mean, you know, yeah, re- yeah. recent PMI show four consecutive quarters yeah. or months rather of contraction. Uh, so, so the, I mean, UK construction is horrible, which leads us very neatly into another uh, construction-related story. I know you wanted to talk about, which is Gallifrey Tri yeah. Stroke Bovis. Yeah. So this we, we have spoken about this before. Yeah. And we've had some some news this week, some updates. What, what's going on there? So back in May, I mean, Gallifrey Tri has been a, been a company with a lot of problems on its construction business. And within the, the problems of the construction business, are, to an extent, overshadowed that also within Gallifrey Tri, there is a very solid house building business called Linden Homes. I think they may have built some homes around here. Yeah. We're in Morden, by the way, today. Yeah. And... Um, they have a, a what's called a partnerships business, which is involved with housing association, social housing, kind of business that Bovis, which has come back and made a, another takeover offer for Galliford Tri, or a merger as it's actually been, scheduled, uh, been spoken about, um, is getting into as well. So in May, Bovis tried to buy Linden Homes and the partnerships business for £950 million. It's come back this week with a proposal of cash, shares, and a bit of taking on about a hundred million of Galliford's private placement debt, just over a billion to buy this business. And it looks like it's probably going to go through this time. And it could—I think this could be a very good deal for Bovis actually. Um, if you look at—if you look at the price that it's paying, so it's paying just over a billion, depending on what. There's about 0.57, I think of a Bovis share component to this offer. So if we say just around a billion, um, it's paying a billion for a business that the Linden Homes business made about 160 million last year and the partnership business made about 34, 35. So you're paying about five times operating profit for this business, which is not too out of kilter with the bottom end multiples of the house building sector. Something like Red Row trades, trades on a similar multiple. But this potentially brings quite a lot of benefits to Bovis in that it pretty much doubles the size of its house building business. So it gives it a lot more scale, which will give it a lot more buying power. It brings with it a land bank. It brings with it a strategic land bank. It brings with it geographic diversification within the UK. Brings it new regions and it brings with it a partnership business. And one of the big strategies within Bovis's own business 
is to do more work with housing associations because this is less cyclical. Is it, is it also uh, less politically contentious? I mean, is, is this is this a you know a strategy to get into something that is is going to be supported by government policy come rain or shine? I think it could very well be yes, and I think that you know we know we've heard all the stories about you know people are finally biting and realizing that help to buy actually has been a, a real mess of a scheme that hasn't really solved the underlying problem with shortage of housing in this country and that they need to try something else and I think this is this this is why I think it could be a very good deal a very smart move you see the, the concern that you would have without this is that Bovis is buying another house building business at the top of the cycle and you have the exposure if, if things went wrong you've just massively increased your exposure to falling house prices and falling land prices which can do a lot of damage to your balance sheet because you've got this partnership, social housing, housing association type business, you actually probably improve the quality of the earnings stream. You take that a little bit of that cyclicality out of it and then bring all the other benefits in terms of buying and that kind of thing. So I think that's, that's a good deal. And I think, you know, Bovis, the rest of Bovis's business isn't doing too badly, although I think there are signs, as we've seen in recent weeks with other house builders, that it's getting harder to shift shift houses now. Yeah, uh, am I right in thinking there is an increase in uh, sort of part exchange yeah. type type uh, business here? Yeah. So this this is a company that's not like Persimmon. It's it's much less reliant on help to buy. It's about about twenty five percent of Bovis's houses are sold and help to buy. And Persimmon, it's over half. But about nine percent of um, sales in the last in the half year. Uh, which has just finished, were part exchange. Now, this is builders do part exchanges all the time, but they tend to do more of it when it gets harder to sell. Yeah, we we, we spoke about this a while back. Yeah, we did notice a bit of this. Yeah, well, it must have been a good good year ago. There's uh, a lot. There's a lot of it going around where we are now. You know, if you look at local building sites, a lot of part X. What risk does it expose the house builder to who's offering the part exchange? Yeah, it obviously does expose. Expo- obviously it depends what price they pay for the house. Now, usually builders will offer very stingy prices for part X compared to what you could sell it for. Good news for Bovis shareholders is that the company has come out and said that none of these part exchange were held for more than three months. So, 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 so they're, they're managing to flog them. Yeah, so they're flogging them and they're turning them into cash. So there's, they're not sitting there with this asset, this vulnerable asset perhaps, on, on their balance sheet. And that's a good thing. I, I, you know, I think if the housing market holds up, then house, you know, I, you know, my views on help to buy are well known probably now by readers and listeners. But these house builders, you know, they don't look, they look all right. You know, there's, they're not expensively valued, and the market is being supportive for now, unless we get a change in government and change in policy. But I mean, we talked about, it. I mean, a change in policy. Looking at Bogus's numbers here, I mean, thirty-seven percent of, of legal completions are affordable. So you know, it's doing the right things by whatever government we happen to have in a year or so's time. And its strategy is moving towards smaller houses, and I think that's sensible as well because the big stuff, the expensive stuff, is just getting more difficult to shift. And still paying nice dividends as well. Nice big dividend, except except that the part of the special dividend they were going to get um, because of this Galliford Tri deal and. It's going to get paid in shares rather than cash. Could be worse. Could be worse. What, what is, where, where does this all leave Galliford Try then? Because I mean, you know, we, when we've spoken about this before, our our sort of 
suggestion has been that the rest of Gallifrey try is pretty horrible. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> has changed. I don't think I've seen anything that makes me change my mind on that. <laughs> but, but, you know, count your blessings if you're a Gallifrey try shareholder because Bovis has come along and done you a favour. Um, should we talk about retail? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a few, few other bits and bobs that I know you were keen to talk about. Yeah. Uh, retail, and I think you also wanted to quickly talk about Abcam, which I, yeah. I have to admit, I don't, I can never get my head around this business. It's yeah. uh, pharmaceuticals. I'm, I'm not clever enough. But let's let's talk, let's talk about JD because I, yeah. I I do know a lot about trainers. Uh, yeah. living in a house with teenagers. Um, more yet more fantastic results. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I struggle to think. I can't. I don't know about you. Can you name a better high street? Better performing high street retailer than this. It's, I mean, it, no. and it's been going on for a long time. Yeah, you know, I mean, some of the uh, some of the big international chains, H and M's, are. I mean, Inditex. Yeah, they're decent businesses. Primark. Yeah, Primark they've, they've not been doing ten percent like for like for as long as JD has. No, no, that's true. Um, that's true. I think the only thing the only thing that you would get really disappointing about these set of results was. Um, the outdoor business, the go out, go outdoors and Blacks. Blacks is making next to nothing, but slightly profitable. Go outdoors is making bigger losses, and I—that's the one blot on JD. It, it didn't. I remember when it bought it, and yeah. I actually thought the same about Blacks as well. Yeah. But I, I just never saw how this fit into the sort of at leisure strategy. Anyway, it, fit, it felt like an odd move yeah. at the time. But I think I think there is, you know, these shares have been brilliant. Um, and they're on 20 times next 12 months earnings now. But I, I think there's a case to be really bullish about this company still because the rest, you know, the European business is doing well, double digit, like for likes. You've, but, but what, for me, the, one of the big positives that I took from looking at these results was the performance of the American business, finish line. Yeah, it's going great guns, isn't it? Oh. It's like when they bought this, I think March last year they bought this. And I think they paid about, I think about $440 million for it. And this was a business that was making about $40 million of operating profit. And it was really struggling against competition, Amazon, the fact that the trainer companies and the sports companies were selling more direct. JD, and look at what JD's done with this. In the first six months, this has made thirty-four million pounds of operating profit. Now, if you convert the four forty million dollars into pounds, what they paid, so they paid about three sixty million, including the cash that they received, and they've made thirty-four in the first half. So they're making nearly ten percent return on their investment off half a year's profits. Now, you then look at that business, and they've got five percent like-for-like sales growth out of it. Admittedly, against probably quite weak comparators, but They've got some growth nonetheless. Then you look at what they can still keep doing with it. They can they, they still think that they can improve the sales per square foot out of the existing stores. They think they can get better buying efficiencies because of their scale. They think that they can close down some of the poorly performing stores and then you can still do work on like the overheads of the business. So it looks to me like this company, this business this acquisition is going to be an absolute cracker. In terms of the return on investment that it's going to get, so it's just basically taking their, their retail formula that has worked so successfully in the UK, yeah. and applying it to a business in the US that wasn't run quite so well. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's you know, 
you look at and you look at the profits they're going to get back as a, compared to the price that you've they've paid for it. And it's going to be making twenty percent plus returns. And then this is before you consider the foot asylum. Now, obviously, foot asylum is under review by the Competitions and Markets Authority. But this is a business with you know a reasonable amount of sales, but not a lot of profit. Work your magic with that, and you've got another. If, if it goes through, you've got another source of profit momentum. So you've got JD at the moment where its businesses, existing businesses, firing on all cylinders. You've got an American business that's going well and getting better, and then you've got the potential of foot asylum coming in and going from losses to profits. Paying 20 times earnings for a business like that, obviously, you know, that's not a bargain. But I, I think, I think this, this company is still in a really good place, and, and, and its shares are. Yeah, well, we tipped these ones in uh, January. Um, yeah. This didn't seem a very long time ago. Right. They're up 87%. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is a, this is a good one. Yeah, I think there's still more. Aren't there? There's still more in this. I mean, I, I, we've, this has been a, a favourite IC share for years. We've had this almost permanently on a buy. Yeah. Uh, the shares are about as expensive as I've ever seen them. I, uh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, you know, in the past, they've traded close to, sort of, to single digit for years. Yeah. In fact, they have on many an occasion. So, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, uh, it's an extraordinary grow, story. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to grow at 10% like for like forever. But, you know, as I say, I think... It still looks, still looks in a really good place. I mean, I've thought of another retailer that we like. That's perhaps as good as JD. Uh, WX Smith. Uh, <laughs> not quite. For different reasons. But, but actually there is a similarity between the two companies. And that is... I take it you're talking about the travel side of it rather than the high street. In aggregate, but focused on the travel side. And there is, there is a kind of similarity here. Because, you know, until... Uh, last year, well, until this year, uh, JD was really much, very much a UK business. Now, uh, the UK has only 41% of its sales. And this, this is the same trend that we're seeing across all of the, the most successful retailers I'd rather, on the London Stock Exchange. If you park, park price aside, I just look at business to business. I do like WH Smith travel business. And I think the cash, the cash generation from the high street and the managed decline there is okay as well. But JD Sports is... Knocking the living daylights out of WH Smith in terms of business performance. All right, but just goes I, to show that that retail as a sector has has some highlights. Still, it's not it's not a dead sector. Yeah, and, you, know, you, look at, and you look at you know some of the successful online ones like Boohoo and that, and that kind of thing. It's not all doom and gloom out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, should we uh, should we wrap up with Abcan? Yeah, which makes. Sells antibodies. That's yeah. as far as I can fill you in on the the science. <laughs> this is <laughs> tell us about it, Phil. Yeah, this is a company that has got lots of clever scientists, and it's based in Cambridge, and has become become a, a global business now. And um, it sells antibodies for the purposes of research. So it sells a lot of its products to sort of university labs, medical labs, and then also it's starting to move up market into diagnostics and getting into hospitals, specialist medical laboratories, and it's becoming a problem solver. And it's got an extensive catalogue, over 100,000 different products that it sells across the world. And once you've made these things, the incremental sales, just a, a pure profit. What are they? What do they do? What do you do with them? So what you do is you sell, they sell kits to scientists with antibodies and then various other things, which I won't get into, 
that look at things like proteins that allow the scientists to either make make new products, make new drugs for, for lab for lab testing for labs, but also right. but also in hospitals as well. So you can there are certain more sophisticated antibodies and analysis of the proteins within cells, which allow the the scientist or the medic to track the progress of, of a patient's condition. So you take its blood or urine sample and you can test it and you can test it regularly. So it's allowing its customers, and you back it up with data as well, it's allowing its customers to learn huge amounts about its products, its patients. And I really like this. I, I, this is the kind of business that I really like, and I can see why lots of people have liked this. It goes with that word you mentioned earlier, or word, phrase, problem solver. I've heard you use that a number of times yeah. when we've spoken. I think you, you spoke about Spirax Psycho in yeah. a similar way. So got, here we've got a problem solver, kind of unique in what it does. But if the financial performance has been a little bit unexciting. It has been good. It's run into a bit of a problem now in the, the sales side of it, the revenue side of it, it's fine. You know, it's selling more products, it's getting more revenue. Problem is, is that in order to facilitate that, to help that revenue grow, it's having to invest in lots of costs in staff, new IT, more laboratories, that kind of thing. And this is dragging down the profit margin and it's going to keep dragging it down. So last year, Abcam made about 34%, just over 34% profit margin. This year it's made about 31, but next year they're saying something between 25 and 28. And then hopefully over the next five years they scale it up and they get back to early 30s again. But what's happening is that profits are barely growing. In fact, if I was really brutal with this, having looked at the numbers, I would say there's no profit growth in this business at all. I think some of the exceptionals they've come out with, yes, they're one-off, but their cost of doing business the R&D spend has come down and the capitalisation of R&D has gone up, which has boosted profits. But Abcam are bullish. They think they're looking at an addressable market of about $8 billion here. And they made $260 million of sales last year. And their aim over, the next, aim over the next five years is to get this to a £500 million business making low 30% operating margin. So you're talking about profits doubling over the next five years. The issue is, is they're going to have to spend quite a lot of money to do this. You know, you need to have labs on the ground. You need to hire people. You need to invest in systems and that kind of thing. And my view, if you look at it, I think they're also going to have to buy companies. Yeah, there were some numbers actually they put out uh, this week. I think they're talking about an investment of a, between 175 and 225 million over the next sort of, yeah. four or five years. But if you actually look within the numbers, so they want to make, so if you take 500 million of sales and put it on 30 odd percent margin, you get to say what mid 150s, 160 million. And they say they want to make pre tax return of 18% on that. Now, that, that means you've got investment. If you just solve for the unknown, the investment is getting sort of 850 million plus. Now, that might include capitalised rents in there and leases, but even so, they've got about 400 million invested at the moment. So you add the 225, there's, there's still another 200 million to come from somewhere. Some of that might come from rents being put on the leased assets, laboratories and so on being put on the balance sheet, but it makes me think that in this plan is, the, is Dubai. And they have, bit, they have bought up companies. They are a buyer as well. 
as a developer of their own products, they buy other companies. And I think this is a good company, a very good company, with good fundamental support to it, but it's on 35 times earnings. Your profit momentum has stopped. Your worry would be that these costs might still keep going up. And, the, you know, you look, you look at the downgrades. The downgrades have been really savage on this company. You know, you know, a year or so ago, people were expecting 38 pence a share of earnings for 2020. It's now looking at 32. So that's a pretty big downgrade. You've got to have the confidence that those downgrades have stopped and that we can get this organic profit growth going up again. But I think this is a... a I, you know, I totally get why these shares have done so well up until now. And if they can solve this, um, then it's an interesting company. I, I'm not so sure the price tag is right at the moment, but if you're looking for something to stick on your watch list, thinking this is a great business that I would want to buy at a, at a decent price, then uh, yeah, it, it's got, there's a lot to like about this one. I mean, it, it sounds like it's it's in a sweet spot in terms of what it's doing for its markets. And, you know, I, I mean... In the uh, the write up from the magazine this week, we talk about the, the chief exec having a multi decade view, and that's the kind of thing we like. To, more yeah. companies should think like that. Absolutely, yeah. But investors often don't want to look past the short term, yeah. which is which is a bit of pain on the on the sort of profit and margin front. So one one for the watch list, definitely. Yeah, yeah. excellent. That's pretty much everything we want to talk about. I think it is. It oh, is. Oh, briefly, a brief word on Morrison's. Perhaps. Oh, go on then, Morrison. Yeah, I, I must admit, I haven't looked at this today. Um, it came out this morning, so it's not in this week's magazine. I thought it was a very interesting developer, Morrison's, this week. In the, my, my view, and I've said this to you before, I'm, I may have said, I think Amazon's going to come and buy Morrison's. I think Amazon is feeling its way in food retail. It's bought Whole Foods in, in, in the US and currently sort of experimenting with using whole food stores as distribution hubs makes sense and i think the same can be done with morrison's in the uk now today morrison's and amazon have come out and said that they are changing their relationship so at the moment morrison's has been wholesaling food to amazon for amazon to sell on its website on a rolling basis now there is an, an, a multi-year agreement. And what's going to happen is that Amazon has got this service called Prime Now, where effectively people can go onto Amazon and do a full Morrison shop. It will then be hand-picked in a Morrison store, but delivered by Amazon. And this is rolling out in places like London, Leeds, Manchester and Birmingham. And then it's going to roll out to five other cities in the UK later this year. And I think if this works, then perhaps the next step is because Amazon likes to control things. Amazon is a bit, you know, it's a bit of a control freak. It doesn't really like relying on others. And I, I just think that if this works, then I think it strengthens the rationale for Amazon taking control of Morrison's altogether. So I think this 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 um, news today is very significant because it's a it's a stepping up of the relationship between the two companies, which could lead to something else. Yeah, interesting. Morrison's is, uh, I mean, it's doing well as a, in its own right anyway. I mean, it seems, it seems to be on a much more even keel than, than, than it was and other supermarket retailers a few years back. It's sorted, it sorted itself out. The sales growth has slowed down now. And in fact, they have been losing market share in recent months. But this wholesaling side is good. And the other big thing for investors is a dividend. 
So we've had a special dividend announced this morning, two pence a share. You look forward now, and Morrison's is offering a sort of projected yield of nearly 5% now on the current share price. Throw that in, throw a potential bit of corporate spice in there. Uh, it's an interesting share, I think. Absolutely. I breakfasted Morrison's the other day. Any good? Yeah, it was all right, actually. Yeah. Four pounds for a vegetarian breakfast. You can't go wrong. No, you can't. So, yeah, bargain shares potentially and bargain breakfasts. Yeah. Okay, I guess that uh, that just about wraps up all the companies we wanted to talk about. A surprisingly positive week there, Phil. Almost universally bullish. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think, you know, we all need to be a bit more positive about life sometimes. But I think, you know, based on what... You know, I try and call it how I see it. I think there's a lot of good things here this week. Yes, refreshing, because there's a lot of horrible things going on everywhere else. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, you know, the world is not such a bad place in certain areas. And, uh, yeah, it's nice. It's good to see. It's good to see that you can actually look at some of these developments going on within companies and, and see some good things going on. Indeed. Let me just talk you through what else we've got in the magazine. Um, it's been a huge, huge uh push this week to get the top 100 funds together it's it's we do it every year it's it's a massive effort on the part of leonora and her team uh so they'll be talking about that on their podcast tomorrow but uh, yeah that's that's really the main thing in the mag this week 30 pages of it we've also got john rosier um who's uh who's updating his portfolio and looking at a new risk uh approach or an approach to managing and measuring risk that he's taking there all the usual comment lots of results and lots of news including uh the company's team's take on news like uh uh, the London Stock Exchange, for example. Um, but other than that, Top 100 Funds, pick it up in all good news agents or get on the website and subscribe. And uh, Phil and I will be back again next week. Thank you.